Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Boy, you're looking, looking pretty good this morning. Then again, this eye is giving me a little bit of trouble. You guys over here, you might... <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, I just wanted, uh, before I start into my sermon today, I, I do want to, um, kind of an impromptu piece of encouragement for you guys. You know, when we come into worship, we especially corporately, even when I go in personally to worship. I, my prayer time is usually in the morning, but when I come into worship, you know, I, I'm, my mind may be on other things. I, I might be th- already thinking about my to-do list. And it takes a second sometimes to get to that place where you're really just focusing on the Lord. Have, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? And I just feel like to this morning, and we have several times in the past, but this morning I just felt like corporately as a congregation, we, we were at that place together where we were, we were worshiping and we're singing. And did anybody else feel that or was that just me? And so I just want to commend you on that. You know, as we grow in our faith, we, we turn from, from wanderers into worshipers and that transformation is not, it's not instant. It takes a little bit of time where we, we kind of, get sensitive to the, to the Lord's presence and we begin to sense when he's close to us. How many of you have that sense when the Lord is close to you? And what does the Bible say to do when the Lord is close to you? To seek him while he may be found. And so if there's a need, I just felt like um, the Spirit was impressing upon my heart to just take a just even one minute, while he may be found to lift up the needs of our congregation. If you have a need, if you're starting this new year with a need that's pressing down your heart or something that's weighing on your mind, would you just slip a hand up right where you're at and let me pray for you today. Father God, I just come before you this morning before we get into your word. Lord, we just, we sense your presence here today. And we just seek you while you may be found. We call upon you while you are near. And we pray on behalf of those who, who, have, who need healing or who have needs in their finances or in a relationship, Lord God, that needs to be uh, just healed and made whole. I pray right now that you would begin to work on their behalf in a powerful way, God, that you would go before them and decree a blessing upon that area of their life. In Jesus' name, let it be done. And everyone who agrees says, amen, amen. Thank you for bearing with me for a second. I felt like we needed to do that. You know, um, we're here at the beginning of a, of a new year and we're finishing an old goal uh, we started last January moving through the Old Testament, and we'll be finished with that by the end of this month. We've been taking the, the books of the Old Testament in chronological order, and so you've probably noticed as we've gone through that, that we've, they're not in the same order as in your table of contents, and, and that is 
certainly true even now as we begin into the book of Haggai um, today and then into Esther and uh, Nehemiah and we finish with Malachi. And so uh, there were more Old Testament books than weeks in the year. So we had to kind of skip over a couple. But um, we're finishing up this series uh, or finishing up that goal with a series called Rebuild and Restore. And it's, it's interesting how the Lord moves upon uh, our hearts, those of who helped me plan, whether it be the elders or the board, and just how this series fell. This series has been planned since August, and it's interesting just kind of where we're at um, in, in the, as a church and just beginning a new year, and how I haven't, I, in August when this came together, mid-July, I hadn't even studied, studied this out in tremendous detail, but based on where we're at in the, in the year and just as a church, it's just, it's incredible how the Lord moves. And so I, I hope that when you leave today, you will, you will feel that as well. But I start you out with a, uh, um, a sermon here in this first series called Reset Your Priorities. Reset Your Priorities. Um, I once read an amusing story about a farmer who told his wife one night, just before he tumbled into bed, he says, you know, uh, I think I'm going to plow tomorrow. You ever have one of those days? I think tomorrow I'm going to get it done, son. You know, he just said, I'm ready to go. So he went to bed, and the next morning, as this story goes, he started to prepare the tractor, but he realized he needed oil. So he went to the shop to get it. And on his way, he noticed that the chickens had not been fed. And so he started for the crib to get some corn, and then he found some sacks there, which reminded him that the potatoes needed sprouting. So he headed toward the potato pit. And then Rowdy noticed the wood pile, and he remembered that there's a shortage of kindling in the house and it needed to be chopped, but he left his axe in the chicken coop, so he had to go back over to get that. And then on his way, now he's kind of frustrated, his wife notices and says, wow, have you got the plowing done already? He said, plowing? Finished? I haven't even got time to get started yet. And I love that story because it, wrote, it, it illustrates what often happens to people as they begin their day, their week, their month, or their year. They start out with some really ambitious goal. They go to bed the night before. They're jacked up. They're ready. They're ready. They get up in the morning and they're all ready to tackle it. And then they go and they get distracted. And they start putting second things, third things, fourth things first. And everything gets in their way. And in the end, they get nothing done. Nothing done. You know, I think that is um, what happens to a lot of people about this time of year is they make their New Year's resolutions. What's a resolution, you might ask? Well, for a lot of people, it's a to-do list for the first week of January, right? <laughs> it's a to-do list for the first week of January. Or they kind of approach these personal goals, these growth goals, whatever they might be wanting to grow in a relationship or some aspect of their career, Kind of like the young man who, who said, you know what, this year, I'm going to eat more healthy. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be more healthy. But first, I need to eat all the junk food in the house so it won't be there to tempt me anymore, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they kind of sabotage themselves in that way. And so today's sermon is not necessarily about making or breaking resolutions, but it is about resetting our priorities. Because unless our priorities are in the proper order, we're not going to get a whole lot done, as is, will be illustrated in today's uh, Bible story here in the book of Haggai. Um, you know, I, uh, from time to time throughout the year, but especially now, I, I reflect on how I'm, 
I'm prioritizing my time, my energy, my resources, my money. And uh, I do that because it's just so easy to get distracted, just like this, this farmer did. And so I look at the facts, and usually I'm, I'm mainly concerned about how are these, these uh, things that I'm doing, my habits especially, how are they honoring God? How are they helping me build up my relationships? And so I, I'm pretty relentless about putting first things first. In fact, I think I drive my kids crazy. It'll be Saturday morning, and they'll get up. And what do kids do on Saturday morning? Nothing, or they watch cartoons, or they just they are not productive, and I just tend to be this ultra-productive guy, even on Saturday mornings, I'm up, and they're like, turn that off, you know, uh, make your bed, brush your teeth, work out, go pray, and get outside, you know, I'm on them to do all these, these first things first, and they're like, ah, they're moaning, can't we just, well, eat junk food and watch cartoons all day, you know, how many of you have kids like that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so I tend to be pretty relentless in, in putting first things first. And, and I, I bet some, most of you do too as well. Now, why, why is that? Why do we want to put first things first? Why do we want to make sure that our priorities are in the proper order? Well, we want to make sure that we're putting our time, our money, our energy into the places, into the people, into the, the relationships and the activities that will add the most value to our lives. And so I'm thoroughly convinced that those who have the most success in life or in, in different areas of their life are pretty relentless with putting first things first because they realize that, that man, if I put time in at these activities it, or these relationships, it turns the flywheel of my life. Anybody read Jim Collins, Good to Great? Remember hearing about the flywheel and just the, the set of habits that really help you as a person or as an organization or us as a church or your family actually make progress, right? Actually get ahead in life. There are some things that help turn the flywheel of your life or your family and cause you to move forward. There are other things that do not. And so today is all about what does God have to say about our priorities? Because if we're going to make progress, if you and I are going to make progress personally in our life, in our relationships, in our careers, we're going to have to make sure first things are first. If we're going to make progress as a church, we're going to have to make sure first things are first. And so we look today into the book of Haggai because this is exactly why God sent Haggai to the people because they were putting second and third and fourth things first. And really, it had a lot to do with their personal relationship with God, and but also with their corporate relationship with God, as it had to do with the temple. And they were putting things off. It, but they, the interesting thing is, is they were desperately trying to get ahead in life, to build up their lives post-exile, coming back from Babylon. They were making very little progress. And we'll learn why. It's because they had turned things around. They had become very, very self-centered. And they were not thinking about God. They were not thinking about others. They thought, well, I'll take care of myself first. And when I get done, maybe later, then I'll, I'll help God and other people with their stuff. But they ended up miserable. And Joyce Meyer testifies to this. She says, if we live a self-directed, self-motivated, self-centered life, always needing to get our own way, always needing to be first, then we're going to be miserable. Unfortunately, there are a lot of miserable people in our community and maybe in our church. I don't know. But if they are or we are, it's generally or usually because we're being too self-centered. 
And it turns out that this is not a new struggle. This is not something new. It didn't just pop up. It's not uh, specific to Parker or just to us as a, as a group of people. This is something that all of humanity struggles with, but especially the people in our uh, Bible story today as we look into the book of Haggai. Will you turn with me uh, today to the Old Testament book of Haggai? It's only two chapters long. And stand with me. We're going to read a few verses together. I'm on page 565. What about you? <laughs> you know, so many of us, we find it on our, uh, on our phones, our iPads. I, I'm, I'm wondering how many of you can even flip through a Bible anymore. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to read uh, 15 verses here, okay? So Haggai 1, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, says, On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to the governor of Judah and to the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They were given excuses. And then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Then the governor and the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. And so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the governor, of the high priests, and the whole remnant of God's people. And they began work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. Thanks for standing with me. You can be seated. So when I start to study something like this, I mean, that guy is not something that, you know, I, I don't get up most mornings and, and read this, this book, you know, and I'm, I'm, it's not, not that of a common place to go, you know. And so when I got to studying in this, I thought, hmm, the very first thing that is mentioned is a date on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign. And so that made me look into it a little bit, like what was going on, like in this time, like before and during, and then, and why is this timing significant? Why would God include this detail? I mean, because if, if it wasn't important, why would he write it down, right? And so here's some, here's some history here. Um, the, the Israelites, they had, had grown so wicked that God had to put them in a in a pretty serious time out, I guess you'd say. He, they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years. Okay, and Jeremiah writes a, uh, and Ezekiel right during this time. And so they were there for 70 years. 
But in 537 BC, Cyrus, who was a Persian king at the time, allowed the Jews to return home. And so in 537, they started returning home. Well, a new king, Darius I, came uh, to rule in 522 BC. Hey, Darius is mentioned here. Look again, on August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign. So if he started in 522, that means this was now 520 BC, August 29th, essentially, okay? So why is this timing significant? Well, during the 16 to 17 years that the people had been back in Israel, they had been working very, very hard to reestablish their personal lives, like crazy hard, okay? But they tried to do this apart from God. Remember, they came out of exile with nothing, back to a homeland that had been devastated by the Babylonians. And so they're trying to rebuild houses. They're taking stones out of fields. They're trying to get their life put together. And I imagine it would take a minute. But over the years, they experienced one setback after another because they were trying to do this apart from God. God was not first priority in their lives and they had become very self-centered. I mean, just look at verse 5 and 6 again. Look at some of the setbacks that they were experiencing through these years. Small harvests, not enough to eat, not enough water, not enough clothing, never enough money. It says that, like you had pockets in your holes, okay? Even the climate, look in verses 10 and 11. Even the climate was substandard. There was a lack of rain from the sky, lack of nutrients from the ground. There were seasons of drought that ruined everything. God was allowing these things and perhaps even causing some of these things to happen during this time to get their attention. I'm sure if stress balls had been around at the time, every Israelite would have had one. Does anybody have a stress ball anymore? You have one? You know what the best you, you have two? Oh my goodness, it must, it's really stressed, her husband says. Uh, Well, do you know what the best use for a stress ball is? It's not squeezing them. It's throwing them at the people that are ticking you off. Absolutely. You see, no matter what the Israelites were doing, they could not get ahead, but they were blind to what the real reason for that was. I mean, most of them were really frustrated, but some of them were making t-shirts. They were, yeah, just like these t-shirts, you know, how you print at home. They said, if you don't first succeed, then redefine success. If at first you don't succeed, then redefine success. And we kind of chuckle at that because that's kind of funny. But do you know what? There are a lot of people failing in their relationships, failing in life, and rather than really addressing the source of the problem, they just redefine success. They redefine success in, in, in their marriage. And, and instead of what it should be, they kind of... They call it something else. Well, it's okay. This is okay. You know, I'll, I'm settling. I'm settling in, in my relationship with my kids. I'm settling in my career. And instead of calling failure what it is and addressing it and getting better, they just settle. And that's kind of where these people were at. And so God sent Haggai to them 16, 17 years after they come back and they're working their tails off trying to rebuild and restore their lives And Haggai comes and says, listen, guys, your priorities are backwards. You are not getting ahead because you've put yourselves first and then God. I think I've got it right up here on the slide. They were doing me, then God, and then everybody else, if if they even made the list, okay? They They would take care of themselves first, and when they got done, 
they and they would go and take care of God, both personally and corporately. Okay, and we see that that they were. You think, well, man, they had a lot of work to do, and maybe it really did would take them that long. But look at the reference in verse four. Look in what what the Lord says through Haggai in verse four. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? And so this reference to luxurious houses makes us think that they were going beyond the far, far beyond the basics of just getting resettled in the land. They were going and aiming for a, an ultra lush lifestyle. They were pressing on until into this uh, this place of comfort. They were more focused on, on comfort and the accumulation of, of wealth than they were on taking care of their relationship with God both personally and corporately. And so Haggai comes back in here in verse 8, if you look at that with me, it, to remind them. He says, now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house and then I will take pleasure in it and I will be honored. And so God is saying through the prophet, listen, if you honor me, if you make your primary pursuit honoring me, honoring God, then not lifestyle design, not being rich, not on the mere accumulation of more stuff, then you will experience all these wonderful benefits. I mean, consider for just a second, if they flipped things around, if they were God, then me, right? If they flipped it around, if they got their, reset their priorities and, and put things straight, listen to how God would take care of them. Let's take those things in verses five and six and, and take the opposite. Think about this for a second. In terms of their career, in terms of their jobs and their work, they'd have large harvests. They'd have enough to eat, enough water, enough clothing, enough money, Enough, right? And, and all the major aspects of their life. In the climate, the weather would be favorable towards them. It says they'd have rain from the sky, nutrients from the ground, seasons of abundance that would make their work and their lives easier. If they would take care of God first, God would take care of them. He would build for them a life that they could not and had not been able to build for themselves, right? And so how did they respond? How did they respond? Go down into... Uh, verse 12, start looking at verse 12 again. It says, Then the, uh, the governor, the high priest, and the whole remnant began to obey the message from the Lord they, because they feared the Lord. And then God responded back to them, I am with you. And so we see that um, once they started to fear the Lord and realize, oh, wow, you know, every time we bring home a harvest, God blows it away because we're not honoring him. God's not terribly concerned with them having a comfortable lifestyle. He was more concerned with them having a right relationship with him because he realized he knew that out of that right relationship with God, all these other blessings, including some of those material blessings, would begin to flow. And so until they got their priorities right, he wasn't going to let them get ahead. Okay? And so they responded. They feared the Lord. They recognized what was happening, and they began to obey. They took prompt action. In fact, what does it say? Three weeks later, on September 21st, they started work on the house of the Lord their God. Three weeks later, they got it together. That's a pretty prompt response. And so before we take a look at how this message applies to us, I want to get, take a second to, to have a conversation break. It's, it's a three-minute stand, stretch, and share break, okay? And so stand up on your feet, if you would, please.
Give it a little stretch. Oh, yeah. Feel it. Crack that back. And now what I want you to do is I want you to think of a time when you were just banging your head against something. You could not figure it out. You could not get ahead. It could be a small project that you were working on. It could be a major life goal. You could not get ahead. And then somebody came and helped you or gave you an insight or God showed you something. You can be anything of that nature. I want you to take three minutes, find somebody, pair up and share your story. And when you get back, I'll share you my story. Okay, go ahead. They're going to give us a little music. When you hear the music start to fade, we'll come back to our chairs. How many of you heard a pretty good story? All right, good. I heard a story, um, someone was telling me about how they have several spreadsheets that, uh, that, that derive into one. They work in finance, and so they got like 40 cells contributing to one final, one final cell, and they'll have to stare at it for a couple hours, just kind of banging their head against it until they go, okay, I understand what this is saying now. That was a, he's like, this is a super boring story, but this is my example. And so... It was pretty non-emotional. My, my story is a whole lot more emotional than that. And so I'll, I'll get to that in just a quick, uh, quick second. Um, so there's two ways that, that Haggai's message applies to us today. Um, the first is personal and the second is, is more corporate as a, as a church body. So let's start with the personal first, okay? So we're starting out, you are starting out the new year and, and, and you have a goal. You have something that you would like to see changed or improved in your life, okay? You, maybe it's, it's in your career, in your work, some sort of certification or something you want to accomplish, okay? Maybe it's in a relationship. You, you want to see your marriage just take, go to a whole new level. Maybe you want to see your relationship with your parents or your, your children or your grandchildren uh, go to a different level. Maybe it needs, you're like these Israelites, you're coming back out of this time of like severe uh, uh, desolation, I guess you'd say, where things are just torn down, your relationships stink, the, the, the work stinks, everything, it's just nothing really productive. And you're like, God, I need you to intervene. Or more, maybe you're starting out like these Israelites did and you are trying to improve it and you're banging your head against the wall, trying to get it better, trying to improve your marriage and improve your relationship with your kids or parents or, or coworkers or your boss or something like that. And I just want you to say, I hope you can see the pretty obvious parallels here, that unless you reset your priorities to God and then me, all of your efforts are going to be just like these Israelites. It's going to come to nothing. You're going to put your work in and God's going to blow it away because he's not terribly concerned about your lifestyle design. He's not terribly concerned about you having more luxurious options. He's not terribly concerned about these things. Jesus told us in in Mark 8, what good does it do if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? If you're not right with the Lord, if you are not honoring him first, what good does all this other comfort stuff do? You can't take it with you, right? And so he's telling you today, put first things first in your personal life. Whatever area you are trying or hoping to see improve, whatever relationship you want to get better, next Christmas when you look back, and you can and smile and look at how things have changed for the positive, how things are more productive and more enjoyable. 
It will only be because you have invited the living God into that situation. Do you hear me today? That is the only way. And I tell you this, when God speaks or steps into a situation, whatever is there cannot help but come to life. It cannot, it can't resist it. It can't resist it. Do you remember, this is a little off track, but do you remember the prophet Elisha? who was so just full of the presence of God, he had such a close walk with God that after they buried him, a few years later, they threw somebody into his grave accidentally. And the presence of God was so powerful in that man's life that what happened to that man? He came alive. They threw a dead guy in on a dead guy in the presence of God in Elisha for some reason, just the guy came back. And I'm telling you, if you're looking at your marriage, if you're looking at your relationship with your kids or your parents or something at work, and it looks like it's dead, and you're banging your head trying to fix it, trying to figure it out, trying to push it forward, until you invite the living God, Haggai calls him repeatedly the Lord of heaven's armies, until you invite him in and say, God, you go first it starts to come alive. It can't help but come alive and grow and become better. Here's my personal story. This happened this week. So our dryer and washer were on their last legs. And in almost 16 years of marriage, I've never had the means to buy my wife a new washer and dryer. We've always had hand-me-downs. Well, I got the means, and so I just did it. I bought them for, and so I'm putting them in. I've installed, you know, moving and stuff. I've installed washers and dryers. Well, I'm working on the dryer, the dryer vent, and I go, you know, I go and get the aluminum foil crinkly thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The aluminum foil crinkly thing. (sighs) Whoever makes those never installs them themselves. Or they get a big kick out of that because there's one in the dryer and then there's one coming off the wall. And I'm trying to connect the two. I'm yelling for Hudson to get in here. Grab that thing. Get my drill. Grab that. And I'm like got one arm in. I'm cut up all in my hands from this stuff. It's shredding. You know, it's like it's garbage. It is garbage. I'm so hot. I probably spent an hour and a half trying to connect two little hoses. In my mind, it's so simple. I have a degree in physics, okay? And I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm like, I can do this. And I'm hot. I, you can tell him. Hudson's my son. He's my oldest son. My wife was gone at this time. And she said, Dad was the fiery, explodey head emoji. That's what Dad was. I wasn't cussing or anything, but I was stomping, just a piece of crap. I just was, oh, I was so hot. Finally, I got, I just, I mean, I'm like almost tears. I mean, just, I'm like, oh, I'm a broken man, you know, <laughs> fighting this dryer vent. I go over to my neighbor who's a contractor, and I just said, <sighs> I said, Jim, I'm about to lose my salvation. I said, would you mind coming over and helping me, please? And so he comes over and he's like, oh yeah, 
those things are junk, except he didn't say junk. Um, he, he said, those are garbage. You need to go and you need to get this thing. And he, he, there's this aluminum foil tape that I never knew existed. It is so whew, manna from heaven. It was so awesome. It helped me so much. It was like three fifty dollars a piece, man. $3.50 a piece. Oh, man. So I, I got it on. I was extremely proud of, of that. I got it on really, really well. It looks really good. And if you come over, I'll, bam, there it is. I'll show you. Okay. But you know what? I thought of that story in reference to this and just personal goals and how that's such a silly sounding story. And yet it's just like us sometimes where we're trying to move forward and we're doing everything we know how to do. And we're so stupid frustrated that we want to throw something at someone, you know? And, and when we finally, when we get to the end, just like these Israelites do, we say, I need help, you know? And God sends a, a neighbor or a, in this case, he sent a Haggai to help them get back on track. And then, and then you learn something and you see something from a perspective that you never thought of, like I did with the aluminum foil tape, you know? And I didn't even know that stuff existed. And, and so... I think the same is true for us. And so I just, I ask you again, what goal do you want to accomplish this year? What relationship do you want to work on? Unless you're honoring God in that area or relationship, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get ahead. So ask him, invite the Lord of heaven's armies, the creator, the one who brings life to the dead into that place and it will come to life. You'll, be, you'll just be amazed at what he does. Second application for us is as a church. And this is where I need to turn to my uh, marker board here, okay? And so I, I, I do watch the time, and I will try not to bore you. Um, you know I, I came out of business school, and so I think of this as uh, this is, applies to us. So, guys, there are four different places that I think a life, it's mainly applied to organizations, but... Think a life or even for us as a church, okay, where we can be because we are an organization. Four places. You have startups. Hear a lot about startups, Kickstarter and all this kind of stuff, right? Just getting going. You have the goal. Everybody wants to be a sustaining success, long-term productivity and enjoyability. Everybody wants to get there. Everybody wants to experience success and, and lots of it for a long time, right? Well, sometimes people get out of alignment. Maybe they get a, a leader who doesn't quite, they're, is not cultured to this success, whatever led to this success, and so they kind of take it down a, a different trail, and so they kind of get out of alignment. If you ever had a, uh, your tires out of alignment on your car, you know how you kind of drift, right? You drift off to the shoulders. That's this situation, okay? The last is a turnaround, and that, my friends, is where this church was about a year and a half ago, Okay? They had been a startup, Michael, what about 25 years ago? Okay, so the history of the church was they were a, a church plant out of Aurora First Assembly, correct me if I'm wrong, correct? They've, they've had, I'm the third pastor, right? Two pretty long-term pastors, 
10 and 12 years or something of that nature, right? And they got, for this size building in this parking lot and whatnot, got to here, correct? Like 200, 250, correct? Which is maxed out. This building would be maxed out with 250. That was like four, four years ago, right? Okay, and then for a variety of reasons, they went here, okay? They went there. And when Jamie and I were invited to come a year and a half ago, so 17 months ago, I think now, there was about 50 people. Is that right, Mike? I keep checking with you because you know. Okay, so we we were about 50 people. And now what we're doing is we're going this way. Because we're not a startup, right? When we're not out of alignment, we're a turnaround. I mean, turnarounds are like months away from capitulation, months from shutting it down. That's what a turnaround is, okay? And that's, that's kind of where things were, were headed, okay? And so we came in. Jamie and I felt the call to come because it was like 50 of the coolest, most capable people stayed. Usually when churches go to a turnaround situation, all the people with grumpy pants on stay. And all the, all the really capable people leave, but it was just the opposite, not the people that left were grumpy pants, but um, all the people that stayed, it was like you couldn't have asked for a better team to, to try to turn something around. And so we're heading back. But I drew my arrow too long because we're like here, okay? That's the reality. I'm, I'm behind the scenes probably in a, in a way that very few people are. And, and so I see we have so many really good qualities going for us. We are developing the habits of a much larger, much, uh, I not say more successful necessarily, but we are developing the habits of a successful church. We're not chasing fads. We're not chasing the latest trends. We stay in the scriptures. We stay committed to our children's and youth college ministries, stay commuted to uh, community groups and, and reaching out to our community and missions, okay? So we've got the, the habits of a successful church, but it be making that our reality is going to require every single person, all the 115 or 16 people that call Cornerstone Church their home church to make it a priority, See, Haggai was talking to the people, both personally with God, but also corporately. If you read in there, you see he was talking about, hey, come and rebuild the temple. Now, our, this church building, the physical facilities, are very nice. And in the last 17 months or so, we've been updating it and doing lots of great things. And thank you to everyone who has participated or given or helped or prayed over those projects. That is awesome. But we are not out of the woods yet. We are not there yet. And so I'm, I don't plan this. And, but last night, the Lord was showing me this. I really wanted to go to bed. But he was putting this in my heart. And I had to write it down. And I thought of this at the last minute. And Tom helped me get the stand out. But we are not out of the woods. And the only way we cross that boundary The only way we cross that boundary is if every single person who calls this church their their home church, whether you come once a month or every week, 
You've got to get involved. You've got to do something, anything. There's all sorts of things behind the scenes or on Sunday that people can do to help, but pray and give and serve. Do something because if we all contribute, we cross it. If you've read Malcolm Gladwell at all, you know he has a book called Tipping Point. That is our tipping point. That is our tipping point. It will cause us, we are fighting. We are fighting uphill to get to this place. Greg calls it a place of critical mass, a place where we're not scrambling to find a nursery worker in the morning or uh, you know, an usher or something. It's like every role is filled. People are showing up on time and things are running pretty smoothly. Guests are coming in. Things are going really well. We're growing and we're talking about getting out of this post office and uh, this used to be a post office, right? Talking about getting out of this place and getting into something like two or three times bigger so we can keep growing. But we don't have those conversations if we don't cross that point. And we don't cross that point unless we are letting the Lord reset our priorities and saying, God, what can I do? What can I do to help Cornerstone Church this year? What can I do to help the people in this church family cross that point and get over here. Because once we get over there, then it's like things just kind of, it's that flywheel thing. You just kind of get going downhill and you get all this momentum. There's so much positive things happen. The culture's positive. Everybody's telling their friends about it. And it just grows. And there's no magic formula to that. It's just everybody pitching in. But right now, we're fighting uphill. We're fighting uphill. And I'm just, I'm saying that today because I've got several people wearing several hats. And friends, I don't burn people out. I don't. I care way more about people than I do about their ministry. And you ask anybody that has come to me, there's been a couple in the 17 months that said, Pastor Mike, I'm tired or I've got something going on in my family that I, I have to step out of this ministry momentarily. They'll tell you I'm really chill about it because I sincerely care about them and not necessarily what they can do for me or for us. But we've got to get you, you involved so that these people don't burn out. I'm afraid, friends, if, if four or five of them burned out, four or five of them said, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do three different things. We just do this. We go right back. Because I tell you what, I cannot carry it. I, I can't. I can't. I, I will burn out. I can't let myself burn out. I got four kids, right? So are you getting me this morning? Okay. That is not meant to be a downer at, at all, because, especially because I want to end this way, because I already know that there are a lot of you helping, helping, praying, giving, serving. That tree testifies to it. If you don't know, every bulb on that tree is a testimony of some way people in this church have helped during the month of December. And I am super, super proud of you for that. We impacted our community. And so thank you for contributing. And thank you for supporting me and the board and, and, and helping in ways that you can. And if you want to find out ways, just be listening over the next few weeks because as we grow closer to, draw closer to the vision meeting on the 27th, I will tell you more of what's coming up and how you can get involved. But if you feel impressed today to say, hey, give me a call. Let's talk. Let's see what you got available. We'll get together, have coffee, and we'll see how we can get you involved, okay? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray.
Thank you for bearing with me. Hopefully you learned something and the Lord spoke to you today. A little impromptu business lesson, huh? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for these wonderful people, beautiful people, God, these families, Lord, that are just loving you, worshiping you today. We felt your presence. And Lord, we just invite you, invite your life-giving miraculous presence into our lives right now. Would you just do that? Just begin to slip your hands up if you feel comfortable doing that and just invite him in, into that area of your life that you're hoping to see improved. Oh God, I just pray a blessing upon these people. Lord, you told the people through Haggai that you would bless them while the seed was still in the barn, you were going to guarantee a harvest before they even tried. And Lord, if, and then all they had to do was try and you would produce results on their behalf. And so I just pray that same blessing over these people today that be, be in honoring you that before they even try to improve their relationships or their career or this, this congregation this year, that you would pronounce a blessing over their lives, that you would guarantee it, that they would look back in 12 months and and just be absolutely amazed at how you worked in and through them. I thank you for that. Now bless us as we go this afternoon. Just give us your strength and let your favor rest upon us, upon our children, and upon the work of our hands in Jesus' name. And everyone who believes that says, Amen. 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 Bless you guys. I love you. I will see you next week. Give somebody a handshake, high five, or a hug before you go. And if you're willing to help, with the Christmas tree decoration, stick around. It'll probably take 10 minutes. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.